Episode 9 with part 2 of our interview with Captain Andy Miller III from the Salvation Army in Tampa, Florida. It was appropriate, uh, ironic, we were having this conversation in July, but we got into a discussion about uh, whether or not Salvation Army Christmas giving programs actually accomplish the mission and, and do what um, they are meant to do. What did you think about his, his take on maybe we shouldn't be giving out toys at Christmas time? You know, I, I've had this thought myself about the mission and what what the difference between cures and and just medicine. You know, are we helping an ailment or are we curing the disease? And I think that what I've come to, despite even maybe some of my more harsher opinions, is that if there's comfort in a Band-Aid, then the Band-Aid is valuable. Um, and while the cure is the ultimate goal, the, the, the healing process is a process. And what you can do by giving someone a, a toy, and not for everyone, you know, we've, we, we've all been around these enough where a person leaves our giveaway and goes to the next giveaway. But um, for that one person that that toy can change their life, I think there's still great value in that. Um, and it's worthy of resources. Well, and, and when we were discussing, because it wasn't only tied to the Christmas season, we were also discussing the Salvation Army's social services throughout the year. And there was a little debate even about, you know, whether we should be feeding on a day-to-day basis. And of course, in thinking about having this conversation with you, I thought, well, well, I got to hear what Darrell uh, has to say about this because yeah. his life was shaped by the fact that the Salvation Army was giving out food at a time when he needed it the most. And, you know, that, that did come to the forefront of my mind when I thought about the toys being handed out and that being what changes someone's life. For me, it was a plate of food, you know, and, and what the, the reality of a meal accomplishes. Um, and I think it goes far beyond the stat of ticking someone off when having received a meal. It's what that meal can do. Um, you know, give somebody the wherewithal to be attentive in school that day uh, or, or to have a good night rest. And, and it's the culmination of kindness that, that goes onto that plate that really feeds the person. Um, and with that being said, um, I'm also a person that questions sometimes in our own location the effectiveness of the effectiveness of our food pantry. Um, could our resources in our particular neighborhood, for those who aren't aware of my community. It's a more affluent neighborhood than most. Um, there's still great need, but the need looks different. And, uh, you know, so I, I my, my idea is more centered around what's most effective and needed. Being a needs-based organization, you know, does having what other core have just because other core have it make a difference on a day-to-day basis? Right. And, and that's that adaptability we talked about, finding creative solutions to Poverty, hopelessness, other people, you know, whatever the problem might be, it's about that creative solution that fits the fits the community you're serving. That's um, right. But he, he did reference kind of the proof text on this conversation, which is a book called When Helping Hurts. And I have to admit, I am familiar with the book and the premise of the book, but it's on my 2020 reading list because I have not gotten to that one yet. <laughs> Um, we talked a little bit about Andy's uh, podcast, uh, The Captain's Corner, and I am, uh, I am a subscriber. And, and then we did a first for the podcast. We had a guest actually go through the pulse and talk about um, what he is listening to and reading and, 
um, and watching. Uh, he, he is a, a Netflix resistor, um, so that was uh, that was fascinating. Um, that's like a unicorn in this day and age to meet somebody who resists the power of Netflix. But um, true. <laughs> but that was uh, that was a good conversation, um, and uh, and I think with that we will get into part two of our interview with Captain Andy Miller the third. them be the heroes of their own story. Right, right. Like to allow, allow them to, like I believe. Well, and, and sometimes I think we take away people's dignity. Absolutely. When we just yeah. want to come in and provide the solution. Right. right? I think um, on our best day, the Salvation Army sits in the UG with people, Amen. right? Sits Amen. in that yeah. troubled spot that they are. Yes. Because that's a lonely place to be. Right. You know, I, uh, we, in, in our uh, community relations and development department, which is the fundraising arm of the Salvation Army, through a series of circumstances, we came to be in charge of the largest social service delivery um, programs that we did in the city of Boston. Oh, wow. um, so we did a Christmas castle uh, that served um, about 5,000 people. Mm. Uh, we did a, a Thanksgiving that, did, that, that served 2,000 families. We did a back-to-school celebration that brought 4,000 children to, to TD Garden, um, where the Celtics and Bruins played. Yeah, sure, and they yeah. didn't just get a backpack. They got this whole experience and a celebration of going back to school. And the mayor of Boston partnered with us on it. And so it was like his welcome back to school for all the students and everything right. else. Fantastic event. But, but my point is that one of the things that I realized when I was working with those families, and, and I was there for the volunteers, I was there for the corporate groups that were supporting mm -hmm. it and stuff like that, but I'm a salvationist. I couldn't help looking to the people that we were serving. Right. And as a, as a director of communications and being in the PR world, um, sometimes we want to parade the people oh, who have yeah. the problems out so that we can make ourselves, we can oh, make man. the Salvation Army yeah. look better, right? And I was always sensitive to that. I never wanted to use people as props, right? Right. Especially people experiencing prop poverty yeah. for us to use them as props yeah. is awful. Yeah. If we're honestly and transparently telling their story in a real way, that's going to motivate people to help them. Right. That's different. But when you're just using people as props, that is disgusting to me. Right. And, and it was revolting. And so I, I always want to be careful about that. But one of the things I would always say to the volunteer groups coming in is look, the people who are coming here to get toys for their children and gently used coats for their kids, they don't want to be coming here. Right. They want to be buying those things Amen. with money that they have earned at a job. Right. Um, they are here because they have no alternative. And the right. dignity that we sometimes take away from people by just slapping the solution on it, as you right. said, instead of saying, number one, I see you as a person. Right. Right? I don't see you as your... your um, SSI number. I don't see you as your, your WIC case yeah. number. Um, I see you as a person and I right. see your household as a family and I have right. a family too. Um, and, and then saying, let's sit in this problem a little bit. Let's understand what the problem right. is. Maybe understand a little bit about how you got here because right. maybe the solution is only going to work for a couple of weeks and then you're going to be right back here if we haven't right. looked at how you got here a little bit. Um, but but sometimes the dignity that we can rob yes. from people by just trying to slap the solution on yes. them. Yes. Um, this, this is a real I mean, problem for development land. Yeah. Like I think like you, it is so hard to realize you have to not bring donors, board members, whoever in just, for the, just to make them feel good. Right. And really, 
well, almost I mean, that's, victimize that's people poverty at the tourism. same time. That's poverty Absolutely. tourism. I mean, that is that that's despicable. And what do we think? What is poverty like in in, in America? We think of poverty as uh, as far as what we have, like what um, we almost in an economic sense. But yep. that's I mean, we so how do we then solve that problem? We we think okay, so you don't have stuff, we're going to give you stuff, right? And we think somehow that's going to help people actually get out of their their place of right. challenge. Like I have real problems in general with the the way our Christmas giving programs across the country happen. And I have run, I've run local expressions of those Christmas yeah. giving programs for 12 years. Right? Yeah. I've been like, I've been, I've been doing it. Like yeah. I, I have a hand to play in this, like just taking a situation and thinking, Oh, you don't have things. And I, I know a lot of people who have things, mm-hmm. money, and it would be great for me to get them to like me. So I will be the conduit right. to give and take care of your problem. Right. I'm really not sure how much. I, I do think there is some benefit, but in development land, which is a, a world I've created, yes. right? Yeah, uh, um, it, it existed. It's a world I'm identifying. With. <laughs> uh, it becomes like something that we end up thinking. We'll go ahead and let people have this illusion that they're actually solving a problem. Right. right. And I would rather see. This is what where I think like the the back to the Donald Miller being like helping people in the moment of tension comes in. It's like, can we, can we be the Yoda or the Obi Wan Kenobi mm-hmm. for the donors and the people God's called us to serve? Right. And really find out that God's called us to serve them both to right. help them realize right. that poverty is much more than material. Like a lack of material goods, right. that there's a relational there's poverty, there's a social poverty, mm-hmm. so, and and many of the people we serve as donors are in that same. Place. I mean, there's a poverty of words, right? I mean, the the, the gap, the education gap. Oh, sure. They, yeah. They've tracked it. Kids who are growing up in 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 lower socioeconomic uh, situations than their peers actually come into school with like two million fewer words. Than their peers, yeah, sure. um, and they're just not exposed in the same way that a you know that somebody who lives in an affluent suburb is is exposed to that. I was just meeting with a friend earlier today, talking about the culinary training program that we put in at uh, the Salvation Army Ray and Joan Crock oh, yeah. Community Center uh, in Boston. Um, Heard about this? You guys. Have so, so these good. community centers that Joan Crock gave this mega gift for. I mean, they have swimming pools, and and ours has a climbing wall and a big two court gym and classroom yeah. space and wonderful programming. Some of them have ice rinks and you know all this different stuff. But one of the programs that, that I was most proud to be a part of, you know, seeing come to fruition at the Croc Center in Boston, um, which is located in the, the poorest socioeconomic yeah. neighborhood of the city. But I have to tell you, culturally richer than Probably. any place yeah, I've spent sure. time in the city. Awesome. And, and it's not only the, the food and the languages and everything else, but there is just something very, very different about the culture in a neighborhood where people have been there forever and, you know, and, and they've grown up there. And, and anyway, so... Not having stuff doesn't mean they're not rich. Correct. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, and they have a lot of stuff that, that people who are driving the BMW don't have, um, you know, the relationships, the, 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 the people you can rely on, you know, um, it's a different, it's a different dynamic, but a lot of the folks in that community do struggle to find employment, uh, that's going to pay them a living wage. That's going to allow them to have what they want for their kids. And, uh, so when we were building the croc center, which is this big 90,000 square foot community center, we knew we were going to put in a kitchen, 
we said, what if we just built the kitchen like 30% larger than it needs to be and turned yeah. it into a teaching kitchen? Awesome. And that program now is a 10-week uh, free program uh, to adults who are unemployed or underemployed. And the difference between the bag of toys at Christmas time and right. this program is over those 10 weeks, they are getting life coaching. They are yeah. um, actually learning to cook, right? Which is a very creative endeavor. Um, you know, the menu preparation, the, you know, um, they learn it all so yeah. that they can get into an entry level position in a kitchen. You know, right. we're not training chefs. This is not, you know, replacing Le Cordon Bleu or some, you know, very fancy, um, you know, take whatever uh, culinary program you want to talk about. But what it's doing is it's helping them to get into a position where they can get into that market. Right. But I'm telling you, Andy, the shoulders on these people when they start out versus when they leave. Right. It's like a three-inch lift, average. Right. You know what I mean? They they come in and they're and they're struggling, and they don't know if this thing is going to be the the thing that's going to get them where they want to go. Um, and they're kind of desperate, and they're you know um, they're hoping it's going to work out. And then the graduations at these events are some of the greatest celebrations. And what you see is community among these graduates who have been working alongside each other in a kitchen, learning. Some of them pretty good cooks to begin with. Some of them really nothing in the way of culinary background when they start this thing. Yes. But what you see at the end is this incredible sense of community. They laugh so much. They cry at these graduations. The family members are there. The little kids are saying, right. I'm proud of my mom because she finished this program. Um, we had one situation where uh, grandma and mom were both in the program together, awesome. right? I think um, I saw that. Like there's a national story. Yeah, yeah. Are you familiar with Brian Feeker and Steve Corbett's When Helping Hurts? It's a, uh, yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So Absolutely. They, they make, I, I, this was revolutionary for me. They uh, revolutionary was words in my mind after being in your city. <laughs> there you go. Uh, well, I don't know if it really applies, but um, the, the difference between relief, rehabilitation, and development. Yeah. So a lot of times we end up trying to apply apply relief solutions when really what's called for is development. And mm. what you're describing is yeah. happening there. Is people then realize like they have a capacity. Like and I believe. God has given them a creative capacity to be the people he's called them to be. Yeah. If that's the case, then they God intended for them to be able to work. Like right. very few situations would not that not be the case. Yeah. And, and like the, my my book Holistic Hospitality, my whole idea there is like to how do we restore dignity to people? Right. And we do this when we recognize people as created in God's image with this capacity to thrive in life. Mm. And I love hearing like like that's what's happening there. Yeah. But too often, if we end up seeing we're dealing, we're doing relief only like in tornadoes and in hurricanes. Like, do we need to do right. relief right. work? Right. Right. We're and, we're putting a band aid on a solution that needs physical therapy. Right. Right. For, you know, to take that analogy. I love um, that. Yeah, and and you know that's a lot more work, right? Uh, but. At the end of the day, you know, uh, that, that's why the book's called When, when Helping Hurts, because right. at the end of the day, if you are not addressing the real problem, right. then you are causing more problem for that person down the road. And, for yourself. And, and the roots of the Salvation Army were putting people to work, you yes, know? That's right. I mean, it, the, there was a problem in the match yeah. industry. It was unsafe to work in the match right. industry. So Booth goes and he starts a safe match factory. I mean... This is like before fair trade. This is right. before, you know, all of these buzzwords of today. He was doing that 150 years ago um, and trying to put people to work in a safe environment to shame the corporate, 
you know, greed yeah. to say, you can do this safely and you can do this well. And his matches were better than the ones that were sold by the big match companies. Totally changed that, that yeah. marketplace in England. And all of these, you know, corporate interests had to change the way they did business. Mm -hmm. That's not a, that's rehabilitation and development. That's yes. not relief. Right. You know, Amen. relief would have been, I'm going to keep giving soup to this person right. every Absolutely. single night. Right. It's not, it's not a um, and, yeah. and to me, if, if somebody is showing up at the Salvation Army or wherever to get a free meal right. on Monday, we should give them a free meal. On Tuesday, we should give them that free meal again. But if by Wednesday we're not asking, why does this person need a free meal every single day? Right. Then we're stopping short of doing what we've been called to do as Christians. Right. Um, just they, just they preached on Matthew 25 about the sheep and the goats, right? Um, and sometimes I think we can we can miss the point that definitely. oh well we fed the hungry, In development right? Land, we definitely That's miss right. It. That's right. Yeah. Well, I fed the hungry, so that means I'm yeah. going to be a sheep, right? Mm -hmm. And not a goat who gets gets sent away, right? The sheep get into heaven. Um, you want to be a sheep in this situation, right? Um, so I fed the hungry, and I and I gave water to the thirsty, and I I you know welcomed the stranger in, clothing, whatever. Um, but is that actually following that scripture to its, right. to its intent. You know, the intent is meeting somebody at their physical need, but, but you're not just giving the quick solution, you know, and in this world as broken as it is now, people who are broken do not need quick solutions. They right. need somebody who is going to weather that storm with them. Right. You know, uh, I think of a, of a dear friend of, of mine, major Sue Dunnigan, um, who just two weeks ago, was up for a, a parole hearing for a young man who was 15 years old and gang members were, uh, were trying to initiate some young kids. They put the, hand, the, the gun in the hand of a 12-year-old mm. and because Cantel was 15 and didn't want to see it happen to that 12-year-old, he took the gun out of that kid's hand mm. and he's been in prison for that decision that he made ever since. Wow. Sue Dunnigan's been walking alongside that family mm -hmm. since the 90s, wow. right? That's not a Band-Aid solution. That is walking through their pain, being there as Iris wept right. over her son, um, being there as, as, you know, Iris missed out on all those years with her, with her son, you know, that is, is true development work, yes. right? That right. is true faithfulness right. to what God's called us to. Um, and, and not simply showing up with the, you know, with the bag of toys or with right. the groceries and, and not to say, you know, there's anything wrong with that. Cause, cause we need to start there, but we can't end there. Yeah. I'm not, I, I do. I agree. I don't, we don't always have to start there though, because when you start there, you can keep people there. Mm -hmm. It's really hard to move folks because like how many, like, I'm okay. I just want to say, I agree with her in all that direction. Yeah. You know, I'm kind of like disagreeing here with the, the, the no, that's good. Because it's good. With the handing things out because, well, okay. On average, we've helped uh, at Christmas programs uh, 4,000 people for 12 years I've been a Salvation yep. Army officer. I'm not sure how many, like if I can say there's 10 people who have moved from that place right. to more. Yeah. But all together, that's a beautiful, I, right. I feel like I just did something bad. Because no, that's no, it's, so it's, no, exactly this is, right. This is the underbelly, though, yeah. of, of helping Right, is that there are people who are showing up Every year for the turkey on Thanksgiving, right. every year for the toys at Christmas time, 
And we also know some of them are going to the Salvation Army, you know, uh, distribution, and then they're walking down the street to the Catholic Charities distribution and, and all that. Um, so I think, you know, we're, we're in agreement that, that we, we just move folks keep, we ought to move we, folks yeah, whatever that, exactly. whatever that, however we get to them. Yeah. And I, I, I'm to a place where I'm kind of questioning some of those some of those standard ways of doing things that had good origins. Well, and, and I also think you have to look at what are the trends in terms of people wanting to help, right? Yeah, sure. The Salvation Army turns people away as volunteers on two days out of the year, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. Or two, you know, maybe give it 10 yeah. days out of the year, but whatever. Thanksgiving and Christmas distribution days, right. the Salvation Army does not have enough spaces right. for the volunteers who want to come and help. Right. But I got to tell you, the other 355 days of the year, yeah. the Salvation Army and other groups like the Salvation Army are dying for somebody to come in and read with a child and right. do the homework with the child because mom and dad are both working two jobs and they're both part time, uh, you know, so they, they so that the employer can keep the cost low and doesn't have to pay for health insurance. And, you know, and so that's the struggling, working, poor family that the Salvation Army is serving. Um, but we can't find somebody who wants to go and sit there next to, you know, four or five unruly 10-year-olds every right. Tuesday so that they have better prospects at, you know, yeah. um, at, at graduating high school, graduating college, and, and all that. So how about your podcast? What's what's oh, your topic? It's more, it's a, kind of like trying to be, uh, I think we, um, community, culture, and uh, one other word here. I didn't want to have another C. <laughs> so, uh, oh man, mission, community, culture. But yeah. I, I really come at it from a development angle. Okay. So, like resource development. Yeah, yeah. That I want it to be something to connect us to community leaders. So I have like the mayor on, a variety of other like developers, people in town, maybe some board members. Sure. Um, but I found like, as I'm building an audience, it's like just naturally gravitating. It's called Captain's Corner. It's just our development yeah. part of camp where it's not yeah. anything funner. <laughs> so, um, we have been building audiences has naturally gone to army people sure. via me. Yeah. So like if I can, so it's not as built, going as quickly in the community, but I'm kind of like, so we have, we're, we've done one season of six episodes okay. and we have another one coming out and I have the general on coming Nice. and then I have a few other people lined up for the second season. We'll see what happens if we can leverage it. So if we can then say to people in, Tampa, we have this podcast, we yep. have this many listeners, yep. would you come on? As opposed to, hey, we're, it seems like a lot of people are, you'll start them and they don't go anywhere. So right. if I can come to somebody and say, hey, we're in the third season, right. we have an audience, yep. this is who, whether it is a Salvationist audience or not. Right. I mean, I've, I've gotten a fair amount of traction sharing things to just, um, like I just, we shared one yesterday to, to some Salvationist groups, Facebook groups, mm-hmm. and I'll get 4,000 views. Wow. Four or five thousand views from those sites. Yeah, as, and then list as people actually listening through the podcast is much lower. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, we're we're. Uh, I mean, we're just In starting. Out. We're, yeah, exactly. <laughs> we're uh, hundred maybe. You know, we're in the single digits on our on our episode count so far, but it's um, like yeah, I was looking at it. I think we have two hundred and fifty people. You know. Liking our Facebook page, okay. um, and then we're almost to a hundred listens. So it it doesn't translate, you know. Yeah, it's, sure, um, sure. People like the idea, but it's a different thing to have them actually click and right. and listen and stuff like that. So so was your podcast originated like through the Salvation Army? Was yes. it was it so it was designed as a tool for you to 
to accomplish. It's a little my personal, like my, like I, I want to have these conversations with people, yeah. and I think salvation can benefit from it. But I try. I mean, I, I had David Hudson on a few weeks ago, and it just like I couldn't get him to not talk salvation army talk. Yeah. So most of the time, if you listen to it, you'll see like I'm trying to bring people back to like help people understand our message about housing, what Salvation Army is doing. Our, right. Like we're, we're in a capital campaign. How do we leverage like these conversations for gaining access in the community and sure. like seem, seeming like they're legitimate there. But then I also have, I have a big piece of my life that I feel like is speaking into the army. Yeah. And so I want to be able to then do that as well. So I kind of look at it kind of as, officer leader type of people sure. that care about the Salvation Army who might be interested in the people I'd like to talk to. Yeah. So we have one thing that we do on our podcast called The Pulse. Let's take The Pulse. Really okay. quickly, what are you listening to? Listen, Scott. Just listen to me. You listen to me. Listen, I gotta go do this report. Listen, listen. At ease. Listen up. Just listen up, man. Listen, I'm sorry. Listen to me. Listen to that. Yeah, listen, Walter. So you listen to me and you listen well. Music-wise. Whatever. Well, interesting enough, we're on a long trip. It's not. It's a long ways from Tampa to Boston. So you drove from Tampa to Boston? Yes. Wow, that well, is we, a long we, trip. We That's stopped an in Washington, yeah, yeah. New York City, my wife's family in South Georgia. Sure. So um, we are listening to a great book by a man named S.D. Smith. Um the Green Ember series, and okay. I would recommend it for anybody. Yes, there we my my boys and I have read the, those three books, but now we're listening. We're catching the girls up, Got my it. wife and my daughter, up on the series. It's about rabbits, and and they, these rabbits have swords in there, and it's this great drama, and it's this great Christian. It's not exactly an allegory. I wouldn't see a Lewis call Chronicles of Narnia. It's not exactly an allegory, but it's like a. Um, but it's, it's not a perfect, like, like there you go, Pilgrim's Progress is an right, allegory. Right. But this is just more Christian themes Got of, it. Of, uh, of this rabbit. And your world. kids are 8, 10, and 12, oh, and so they're, they're, yeah. they're eating that up. Oh, yeah, it's yeah. great. And so, I mean, I, I listening to, to other things, too, but that's, sure. that's key. And then your brass band playlist. So, oh, so, that's right. Of course. Uh, are, those on, are those on Spotify that that's people right. can follow? Uh, no. <laughs> I'm, I, I'm not on Spotify. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, <laughs> what are you reading these days? Yeah, so I, I'm... I'm in the middle of um, Thomas Sowell's book on uh, conflicting visions. Um, and so it's really talking about socialism and capitalism and the way that, the, you know, the, the philosophical underbelly of those worldviews. So, so just some nice light fare. Yeah, just a, just yeah, a little yeah, summer, yeah. summer beach that really reading. interesting. I was, uh, <laughs> let's see, I just, I... I also finished, I did uh, a really good book for the Salvation Army, really simple, quick book. You probably read it in an hour, The Welcoming Church by Thomas Rayner. I just okay. finished that. It's a great book. Like the Salvation Army, we don't do very, I don't, I don't, I haven't seen the core do a very good job mm. of welcoming new people. No, our, our congregation is, is sort of at this inflection point where we need to be, be better at welcoming people for sure. Yeah. For yeah. years, I think we did it very well. Um, a lot of the folks who were involved in that have now right. passed away. They've been promoted to glory in Salvation Army parlance. And not um, just, not so just we need like welcoming people in, like giving them a program in no, the no, future, like no. from the parking lot yeah. to how you connect with them. So anyway, it's really interesting. So, so that's a lot, a little light reading yeah. there. What are you watching? Watch me! Watch me! I got it! Watch me! What am I watching? I'm not, I'm, we, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a Netflix resistor. Interesting. Um, 
That's countercultural. Yeah, there you go. I, 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 maybe, How about yeah. movies? Have you seen any movies we with the family? See, right I did. We did, did go and see a Spider-Man movie, yeah. which is great. I, I saw my, it with my son really the other day. Marvel. Yeah. I love. I enjoy all the Mar- Marvel, the Marvel universe. Um, I, and and Spider Man makes an appearance at a Salvation Army oh, homeless sh- uh, shelter great? fundraiser at the beginning of that yeah. thing. I'm um, surprised but, I didn't see you there. Yeah, <laughs> very funny. Well, I was in the background uh, taking pictures, uh, you know, oh, of, of Spider Man. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, that's what I would have been doing in my I'm former sorry, life. Sorry, I wasn't prepared for these questions. <laughs> no, that's all right. No, that's that's a great one and very funny. The Spider Man movie. Oh yeah, I, mean, you know, I enjoyed just it. Absolutely hilarious. Um, what's God saying to you these days? I just read. I just was really touched this morning um, reading. Job, and I'm at the end of Job, and I, I've been moved more by Job this time than any other time. I read through the Bible every year, and generally about this time of year, I read, I'm in Job. But when I got to God's speaking to Job and his friends at the end in chapter 39, his descriptions of the animals and his like calling out of um, Job and, the, and their inability to understand God's ways. I think I'm just more aware of how I don't understand. Like I have so much I don't understand. God's ways are not my Mm. ways. And I'm wanting to listen to him as clearly as I can. I got emotional like this morning. Like here I am at Camp Wonderland, this beautiful lake. And I was sitting out on the porch and um, he describes the horse. Like the horse, he like, he looks at the battle and he says like, Aha, like that's a translation, but it's like kind of like, come on, like mm. bring the battle. I'd like, he's mm. not afraid of anything. Whereas this, this animal that has all this power, and I think how God created the universe in such a masterful way and how he's allowed me to participate in it. And, and I get to participate in his plan to bring him, you know, to escort his kingdom in, mm. even through conversations like these and taking my kids all over the freedom trail. Yeah. The, two and a half miles and all this involved. Like somehow like there's an opportunity for me to express the kingdom of them and through the work that God's allowing us to do through the Salvation Army. It's a real privilege. So appreciate great. you taking time to be, yeah. let me on here, Drew. I'm Absolutely. really glad to talk with you. Absolutely. It's great to finally get to meet you. <laughs> yeah, wonderful to meet you too. And and one last thing, I actually heard the voice of God from the mouth of your grandfather Yeah. Uh, because we share a name, right? We're oh, both yeah, Andrews, you're, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. He's an Andrew as well, Andy Miller III. Um, but uh, when, I guess he must have been Commissioner Miller at the yeah. time, uh, he was speaking and he, he told the story of when he had first heard the voice of God. Mm-hmm. And then he said, and God called Andrew. Wow. And in that moment, I also heard the voice wow. of God for the very first time in this super audible way. Um, and, and I don't know if my name was Dan, whether it would have worked yeah, in the same yeah, way. Awesome. Maybe, you know, it was the Andrew connection there. But, um, but that's one of my lasting memories of your, of your grandfather was. Um, and I've heard the voice of God in very audible form since. Wow. Um, but that was the very first time. I was probably about 16 years old. Wow. It, was, uh, it was in Kearney, New Jersey, just across yeah, the sure. river from, from uh, the city. And, um, and yeah, uh, it was your grandfather that for the very first time I ever heard the audible voice of God in awesome. my ears. And so, uh, so the Miller family holds a very special place in my heart because of that. And it's a, it's a pleasure to meet you and, uh, and have you on the podcast. You're named, after, you're named after him. Yeah, that's probably. He thought everybody in the South Army was named Andrew, was named after him. Yeah, I don't think he lacked confidence that's right. at all. Yeah, he was like, <laughs> and I know this about you, like, he had wished you were going to Asbury, but you and your brother decided to go to Yale. So, that, like, I knew that much, too. So. Exactly. There you go. But I appreciate that. Yeah, I'm glad, glad God keeps on working and moving in ways that, you know, we can never predict. Yep. Absolutely.